donors leave a legacy of life, but for their families, it can feel like there's a hole left in the family fabric. Welcome to Legacies of Life, a podcast dedicated to the families of organ donors. In each episode, we hope that we can help each other navigate grief through support and conversations with experts in the bereavement field. Our goal is to help you find new ways to manage your grief and discover ways you and your family can celebrate life and legacy of your loved one. This podcast is brought to you by Texas Organ Sharing Alliance's Donor Family Aftercare Department, and this podcast is an extension of our quarterly newsletter emailed to our donor families. Um, but we welcome everyone who who grieved to join us on this journey. My name is Adriana Almanzan. I am the manager of Donor Family Aftercare here at TOSA. And I'm Edwina Pigarza, and I'm a Donor Family Aftercare Coordinator. For our first episode, we thought we would introduce you to our organization and our department's role in how we can assist grieving organ donor families in Central and South Texas. So for those of you who are listening to us and you're not familiar, TOSA is a a nonprofit organization. It is dedicated to helping individuals and families offer others a second chance at life through the power of organ donation in Central and South Texas. Uh, We cover areas like Waco, San Angelo, Austin. Our home office is in San Antonio, and we have another office in McAllen in the Rio Grande Valley. We are one of 56 organizations like this in the United States. Our service area has over 6 million people. And with the help of over 100 different hospital partners, we are able to complete our mission of saving lives through the power of organ donation. And through the selflessness of donors and donor families, we can maintain our vision of an organ for every person on the waiting list. And with that said, donors and their families are the most important part of our organization because without them, we couldn't get recipients the transplants they need. We hope every donor family listening knows how grateful we are for them. Their impact will affect generations to come. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so true. But I guess before we we talked a little bit about who TOSA is and what we do, I think it's also really good for us to talk about how we got here. So Adriana, how long have you been at TOSA? Yeah. So, you know, I've been at TOSA now for going on eight years. It'll be eight years this August. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of just stumbled into this uh, organization. I applied and um, I had always known about donation when I mm-hmm. got my driver's license at 16, I registered right. and I didn't really give it much thought. Um, I just knew that it was something that I wanted to do. I didn't need my organs with me after I passed, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't really know anything further than that. I wasn't educated in this field. Um, so coming in and working here at, at first, it was a little intimidating. You know, you hear about donation and grief and, you know, things of that nature. And, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's kind of a scary thing to think right. about, but in coming here and learning about life and, and how these donors are so heroic and giving life, um, it really showed the positive outcome for these recipients and how they're able to live on and mm-hmm. their families are able to, um, enjoy them and their time here as well. So I am super grateful to be here and to have been here for the time that I have. <laughs> um, so yeah, how how long have you been here? 
I just completed my, or I just started my 11th year, I guess is the way to say it. I've been here for 11 years and uh, I used to be a volunteer for TOSA. I I know a lot of people hear me talk about that. Um, I uh, participated in this uh, community service project and we chose organ donation. And so we would go out and get people registered. And of course, it was a different time than the way the registry works now than the way it functioned before. Um, and so that was my introduction into it. I have a cousin who's a kidney recipient. So that's how we got, we chose this topic for our community service project. Um, he's uh, His dad was his donor, his living donor, and he's lived a complete, you know, life because of that gift that his father gave him. And yeah. so that was my introduction into TOSA. And a friend of mine was applying for a job as a communications coordinator, and he decided not to apply after all. And so I took the job because I thought I knew everything about organ donation. But once I came in and I started to learn actually about how organ donation works and who qualifies to be an organ donor, I didn't realize um, how rare it is to be an organ donor and how special these people are. I know we say that donors and their families are special, but it really is true as yeah. far as how rare that opportunity is to be able to save lives. And so, um, you know, I, what I thought I knew was a lot different. And, you know, I think it's a, a really great uh, you know organization. And obviously, um, you know, the field of organ donation is so interesting. And um, the people who are involved, everyone is just so grateful for the life that they've been given or to be able to have saved someone else's life as a donor family. And so, um, you know, I'm new in this department for donor family aftercare, but I really enjoy working with, with the families that we have and, and learning about the, you know, like we say, the legacy that a donor can leave uh, when they pass away. Yeah. You're talking about it being rare. I think I read somewhere that it's about 2% of the population that can yeah, eligible for organ donation. So it's an extremely rare gift. Right. So I think that speaks to what you were saying with these, these donors being heroes. Right. Yeah. Because I think we all, you know, like same thing, you know, when I, I used to be a reporter, I met one of our volunteers at a hospital event, and she was signing up people to be donors. And she asked me if I wanted to sign up. And I was like, okay, sure. Yeah. And so I'm filling out the paperwork. And I was thinking to myself, like, I thought I already signed up. But it was just kind of, it's one of those things that, you know, we hope that most people recognize that, you know, the legacy that you can leave the the people that you can impact by being a registered organ donor. It isn't something that maybe a whole lot of people think about, you know, but there are so many people, like you said, there are so many people that pass away every single day, but that opportunity is so rare, only that 2% qualify. And then you have to consider whether or not they're registered, if they had that conversation with their family, and all those different variables. So that that small opportunity actually gets even smaller. And so that's why that gift that you give someone is so incredible for the person who, who does receive it. And so we have our, you know, so many different teams within TOSA that work with our, with our families uh, from the moment of consent. And then our team comes in, of course, as aftercare. Um, And we do all kinds of different things for our families. And the first, I guess you would say probably is, is just reaching out with, with a sympathy card, right? Would that be right? Right. That's um, typically within five to seven days of the donation occurring. Um, And then uh, shortly after that, we like to give our families a little bit of time to 
um, go through the early stages of their grieving um, before we give them the information on the outcome of their loved one's donation. Um, so usually we'll provide information on what organs were able to be recovered and transplanted mm -hmm. and what organs were able to go to research if they mm -hmm. um, opted for that special opportunity as well. Right. And that outcome packet also has different bereavement resources for families that, you know, maybe have people of all different ages that need some sort of help. And I think there's even internet resources and books and all kinds of things that they may find useful for them as right. well. Right. And, you know, when I first started here at TOSA, um, we didn't have that folder. Mm -hmm. We still provided the outcome letter. That has always been something that we have provided. Um, but before we would send out a book um, with information on how donor families grieve. And it was specifically, um, it was a book from the National Kidney Foundation, specifically mm -hmm. written for donor families. Mm -hmm. And it just seemed like it was a better fit to give our families several different options right. for bereavement resources. So putting together this packet of different types of resources, internet resources, books for children, for teens, for adults, um, and of course, just information on grief and grieving in general right. um, is kind of how we came about with the packet. And hopefully uh, our families can get more information out of it. Yeah. And I think, and I, I mean, I can say, I know that they do just based off of the follow-up phone calls that we do with them. And one of the things that we ask, aside from just how are you doing right now is, you know, were you able to receive that packet? Did you find it useful? Is there something that you were able to find useful for that? And so many families say I was able to, to go through it and kind of like make a mark of like, I want to look into this, or I know someone else in my family could use this. And, you know, we all grieve differently, especially if we are different generations. So I know that a lot of families are very appreciative of that resource and, maybe they forgot about it or they weren't ready to really go through it the day that they did receive it. And so maybe they read the outcome letter and then it was just maybe too emotional to continue reading everything else. Mm -hmm. And so when we do call them and ask how they're doing, like that's kind of a reminder of like, oh yeah, I did want to go back to that. And now I can go and, you know, sit down with it and seek out those resources to help me where I'm at today. Right. Yeah. And we also provide information on writing to the recipients as well. Um, of course, that's in due time when families are ready to start that process, but that information is provided for them to at least have a little bit of knowledge in how to go about starting that process as well. So. Right. Yeah. And I think one of the, the, not the more special, because I think everything in that bereavement packet is really special to those families, especially just knowing the outcome of the donation, right. but also the, you know, a lot of families call it the TOSA medal that each family will receive. Um, I know a lot of families either keep that at their house or they take it there to the gravesite of their loved one. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So the medal, it's, it's really near and dear to my heart. When I first started again, like I mentioned, we only had the book and I wanted to provide additional resources, but I also thought we need something special for these families. Yeah. And we used to provide a medal that came from a different OPO mm -hmm. from gift of life, I believe in, in Philadelphia. Um, and they had their own medal, but it was, 
really dedicated to all donors, mm-hmm. organ, eye, and tissue. Um, and while we honor all donors, of course, um, donors that come through TOSA specifically are organ donors. And right. so they don't always, um, they're not always eligible for tissue or cornea donation, even though they are organ donors. So I wanted to create something that was specific to the the donors and their families um, that came through our organization. So I got with one of our local vendors here in San Antonio, and we came up with a mock of the metal with our logo and Mm -hmm. kind of just a little bit of a description. There's two hands um, that are holding our TOSA logo heart. Um, and those hands are representing um, people from two different worlds, a donor family and a recipient coming together through donation and that being symbolized by the TOSA heart in the center. And then of course, having our name on there and then organ donor to sp- specifically honor. Um, right. And that also came around the same time that we did kind of a a total rebrand at TOSA. And so you mentioned those two hands that come together. Our logo for people who maybe who aren't familiar is a heart with kind of an infinity sign with it. And so it has the meaning of, you know, it has the blue and the red and they kind of come into a gradient into one. And that's meant to signify um, through death that we can give life as organ donors. And um, that infinity sign can also mean, you know, uh, the the figure eight as well, which is the eight lives that you can save as an organ donor. So all that ties in together really neatly. And it's so pretty whenever you get to see that medal. Uh, I know a lot of families really enjoy just that whole packet as a whole, everything that it has in there is so special. And um, whenever we do get to speak to those families with those follow-up calls, they're they're always so happy to have received that because, you know, obviously you never forget the loss of your loved one, especially in that first year, those first few months. And, um, you know, I think it comes at a time when, when families really need it and it has all of this stuff for them that is so beneficial. And aside from our, our follow-up calls that we do with, with each family, beyond that, we also do, uh, you know, anniversary cards and, yes. uh, you know, the opportunity to participate in all kinds of different events. What other things that we do we do that we can help um, engage our families? So we do have our Wall of Heroes here at our headquarters office in San Antonio. It is the heart of our campus. Um, our CEO, Joe Nesprall, felt it was very important to have that be the focal point of our new building when we uh, moved in here back in 2020, uh, right before COVID. And it serves as a reminder for all of the staff and even just those who come visit our campus, um, Mm -hmm. any which way you enter the building, you have to pass by the wall of heroes. So it's, it serves as a reminder and, and connects us back to the the mission and the purpose of why we're here. So we invite families to come out usually a year after the donation has occurred. Um, And we recognize our loved one. We honor them. We celebrate them. And we invite them to come take a look at their medal. Our memorial garden is an area here that is meant to be a safe space for them to just come and visit Um, Our campus is open during the week, business hours, Monday through Friday, eight to five, and families are always welcome to come and visit. Um, And so 
we we try to honor them as much as we can yeah events and and in that sense too that that garden is so pretty and you know it has also eight ornamental trees which are supposed to signify the eight lives that you can save and there are benches there and so it's meant you know especially for our donor families but for anyone else looking for a moment of reflection i know a lot of our staff go there you know as a, as a place to give thanks to these donors uh who who save lives and who give inspiration to the people who are waiting um and just to sit there and in the stillness of it when the wind you know makes the metals move and everything from you know seeing it to hearing it it's a really moving thing. And each donor medal has um, the first name and the last, the first initial of their last name and the year that they saved lives. And, um, you know, so families are able to come and see that. And it's so pretty. And every year that we welcome a new group of, of donor families to come and see it, it's, it's so impressive. And it's, um, you know, it's another moment, another place for them to come and celebrate their loved one. You know, we have different places either at our own homes uh, or at a cemetery or, or somewhere else in, in our family home to to celebrate them. This is a place that we do it, you know, every single day. And, um, you know, it's even a space for recipients to go out and give thanks. Absolutely. And um, it's so impressive. And so if you're in the San Antonio area and you're a donor family who wants to see that, we certainly do do encourage you to do that. Yeah. Or even if you're not local to the area, um, we do have information and photos on our website, tosawen.org. And you can it you can get a, a sense of of what it's like um through those images on our website. Yeah, we've got those Google 360 images. And so you can get you can get a good idea of what it looks like if you're not able to come, but the moment that you do stand there and especially in the spring when everything is nice and beautiful and lush it looks really impressive and to see all those medals and have it signify all these people who people who have saved lives is so so incredible yeah and so i i know that you had mentioned you know before when you first started the 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 way that the outcome packet was a little different than it is now and how did that packet evolution come about? Was that something that was because of the needs that families had presented or questions that they had? How did that come about? Well, I just felt like we needed to provide additional support. Um, Not everyone has the time to sit and read a book. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, some people, they they're on the go. I mean, hopefully those who are on the go are listening to our podcast right now, trying to find ways to be able to make it um, fit for different families and Mm -hmm. different situations. I was at an AOPO conference, um, the Association of Organ Procurement Organization. So you mentioned earlier um, the 56 organizations that are similar to ours. Um, So we all meet at a conference, those who participate, and I was able to see what my counterparts at other OPOs were doing. And so one of the other OPOs had a folder that they provided to their families with resources. And I thought this would be something that we could provide to families. They can look at it in their own time, but it still provides the information and maybe different ways they can go about it. Looking online, reading a book, listening, you know, to a podcast in the car. Right. So 
Yeah, because I know even like whenever we like we we've talked about these follow up phone calls quite a bit, but it's you know one of those things that we do for our families. And like I said, you know, you gave them that bereavement packet, and maybe they weren't in the space to look at it then. But maybe since then, they had some questions and they didn't know who to ask. And so that moment that we're making that phone call, if you ever have any questions, you can always call us and like, well, I actually I have some questions right now. Like, okay, great. Let's go over those questions. And I think that, you know, knowing that there was these needs from these families was really important. It's a really great way for them to have and to keep because, you know, if we have a phone call with someone, we gave you all these tools, but maybe you won't remember. So to have that physically is always really helpful to people. But I know also over the years, you have also mentioned that, you know, when talking to families, you know, after the funeral, after kind of all of that has, has settled and, uh, families start to realize some of the things that they need that are not necessarily connected to bereavement, but are means of support as far as, you know, the matriarch or the patriarch of our family passed away. And we now realize that we don't know how to pay for certain bills. And so I know that you had mentioned that you are able now to kind of help connect them to see who can help them out in their community with some resources that they didn't even know who to ask for before, but you're reaching out, offering them help. Um, yeah, as you were mentioning the 90 day follow up calls, typically we get families that ask those types of questions mm -hmm. and um, we try to see what kind of needs they have um, and then we'll look around in their local communities. So, um, you know, San Antonio, if there's a program through the city or in McAllen, different areas, um, how we can help them. Um, apply for these these services or at least provide the information for them to be able to apply. Um, with grief, we have been very fortunate to work with an organization called Kindred Hearts. Mm -hmm. um, they are spearheaded by a nonprofit called Taylor's Gift. And the family was, um, it, they are a donor family, their daughter, Taylor, um, became a donor and they, in their grief, they really wanted to advocate for donation and throughout advocating their years of advocating, they noticed the need for grief support. And so with COVID happening, we really started using virtual platforms mm -hmm. way more than before. And so luckily Kindred Hearts has been able to connect with families um, virtually. So there's no geographic boundaries. Um, and there's really no cost to our donor families either for them to receive grief support through kindred hearts. Um, so usually when we talk to families at those 90 day follow up calls, if they express um, the need for grief resources, we'll first offer Taylor's gift um, before we kind of expand and help them at least through their insurance, their in network providers. Okay. Yeah. And we plan to hopefully um, have them as one of our guests in a future episode so we can learn more about their program and, and how they're able to help families. And, you know, I think that it's such a great resource because a lot of times um, so, so, some families um, or individuals, you know, don't know who to ask for help. And, right. um, you know, when it comes to, well, I don't have the money for that or, you know, I don't have the time to take time off of work or school to go and get this help that I need. Um, so I think that um, this is really 
helpful for those people who meet that specific need. And, um, you know, there are families, whenever you do offer that resource to them, they're like kind of a bit of a sigh of relief. Like I, I have this need for help and now I probably can get that help. And that is so special, especially when you tell them this is spe- especially for a family like yours, it, it helps you because maybe sometimes a lot of families, we don't really talk about donation too much, maybe in our communities or our families. So you don't recognize that there are other donor families nearby us. And so it is such a unique experience that this resource, Kindred Hearts, is so special for these families. Yeah. And, you know, even sometimes families who don't need this, the financial support, or Mm -hmm. um, they really just want someone to talk to. And so we do have a volunteer program also that helps. Um, It's, it's made up of both donor families and recipients. And so it's been really helpful for our families to be able to talk about their loved ones, say their name out loud, um, and meet recipients to just kind of hear another side to the story if they themselves haven't met their their loved one's recipient. So we have families and recipients kind of adopt each other. And it's become a really close-knit group. And it's a, a group that I'm grateful to work with. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's kind of, you know, a lot of families, we offer that opportunity for them as well, you know, go out and share your story. It's one of those ways to keep your loved one's memory alive. You know, we say that, you know, the gift of organ donation is that legacy. And that's why we call this podcast, the legacies of life, because that's exactly what it is, that person and their gift and the ways that they've impacted people will live on forever because it's not just the person who received that gift. It's their friends, their family, their community, their coworkers, everybody. And um, to be able to, to share that story is so inspiring uh, for the recipients, for people who are waiting and for people who haven't ever considered donation. And so that is such a great means uh, to to, to, to grieve your loved one, but also to celebrate the the gift that they gave. And so that's, that's also another thing that we do plan to discuss more uh, here on this podcast as one of those resources for, for families to, to be able to have. And I know that one of the things when we make those 90 day phone calls and we ask them, you know, how they're doing, if they need any bereavement support or any other support, We know one of those questions that we do get a lot of is, well, how are the recipients? How are they doing? And, you know, as far as we know, um, they're doing okay. You know, they have that gift that they've been given, um, but we haven't received, you know, any correspondence from that recipient. And so we always try our best to encourage uh, the donor family to reach out first, which we know, at least in my experience, I know a lot of families say, well, I want them to write me first. Yeah. And it's kind of hard because, you know, uh, I, you know, I used to be a communications coordinator, so I spent a lot more time with the recipients and mm-hmm. those recipients sometimes say, well, I don't know how to reach out to my donor family. I don't know what to say. Thank you. Just sounds so so minor compared to so insensitive. Yeah. yeah. And so that, that, what is it? The survivor's guilt. Yeah. Difficult. And that's real. very real. It's a very real thing. I mean, imagine just trying to write a letter when you're so grateful and so excited that mm-hmm. your loved one has been uh, given a second chance. You know, you probably, the, the family has probably seen them, you know, sick for so long. And then all of a sudden they're, they're better and they're able to experience this brand new beginning, knowing that someone else 
completely was is devastated by their right. loss. How do you write correctly mm-hmm. or, or how do you even say the right words? I mean, not even correctly, but just how do you say I'm so appreciative right. because it just seems so insensitive. I mean, someone passed away. So I can imagine how difficult it would be for recipients. And usually what I like to tell both recipients and families um, is to write with the with the intention of just reaching the other person to let them know about yourself or about your loved one. Right. Um, even though writing and the letter exchanging process is a stepping stone to meet, um, we don't we don't encourage that you do it for that reason. Right. Because sometimes your expectations will not be met. Right. Unfortunately, the other party may not be in a place to mm-hmm. write. I mean, you know, we know we talked earlier about families losing someone and then needing these financial resources. So needing to to kind of cope with everyday life um, before sitting down and writing a letter, it can take time. Mm-hmm. And recipients, I mean, completely navigating through your healing, your physical heal- healing process, and then um, trying to live your new normal with doctor's appointments and medications and things of that nature. So it's, it's difficult for both parties. Um, and really it's exchanging letters comes at a time when both are ready to do so. Right. Um, but at that point is when I like to tell them just right to let the other party know how you're doing. So recipients mm-hmm. let them know how, your life was before your transplant, what led you up to your transplant and what you're able to do now after your transplant. Right. And of course it's everything you're comfortable with sharing, never overshare if you're not comfortable with sharing (laughs) that information, but the same with families, you know, what was your loved one like before? What did they do? What did they, what did they enjoy? Um, And then if you're comfortable with sharing what led you up to the donation process, then by all means. Um, and then now how you're grateful for these recipients and you hope that they're doing well. Um, so those are the things that I like to highly recommend to our families and recipients when they consider writing to each other. Before we end our episode today, we wanted to share with you this special letter that we have received from a grateful recipient family. This is a message from Heart Recipient Grace and her mom, Jamie. Dear Heart Hero family, I first want to offer my condolences on the loss of your loved one. I cannot imagine the pain that you are going through, but through your grief, you gave my child the ultimate gift. You gave her the chance of life. I don't have the words to convey my thanks to you and your loved one who gave my daughter the opportunity for life. My daughter was born with a congenital heart defect and didn't have any medical intervention until she was almost two years old because she was born in China. She's had multiple open heart surgeries to help, but when she got older, it was evident that her heart was slowly failing. She wasn't able to participate in anything physical because her lips would turn blue and she'd be out of breath. 
Her first week in middle school, she collapsed and was admitted to the hospital where she would have a two hour cardiac arrest, be put on life support and gain a heart pump. She lived with it for over a year until she had a second stroke and she was admitted back into the hospital. Our family was losing hope that she might not make it. We were so close to being put into hospice care when your family stepped in and saved my daughter's life. She is now 15 and thriving in high school. She walks almost three miles every day and she couldn't do that before. She's in choir and guitar club and she's finally able to have a social life. She's learned to skateboard and she can eat her favorite foods again. She finally grew and gained weight and she has already grown like three shoe sizes this past year. Your loved one's beautiful heart has greatly impacted our lives. Your loved one lives on in my child and she makes sure to take good care of it. I think of you and your loved one every day and I send love and light to you all because in your tragedy, you made the decision to give life to someone else. I can't even begin to process or understand. I just want you to know that we are so thankful. We wanted to do something for you on the second anniversary of your loss. We made a Build-A-Bear on my daughter's 15th birthday. And if you push the belly, you should hear the heartbeat of your loved one in my daughter's chest. <laughs> I wasn't sure how you all would feel. We wanted to make sure the bear was super soft too. I wish your family all of the love and light. With love, your Heart Heroes recipients, mom. Um, the Build-A-Bear workshop had the birth certificate and the date of birth was December 24th, 2022. And the name of the Build-A-Bear is Heart Hero. Um, Heart Hero 16 inches and seven ounces and brown. And his fur color is medium brown and um, he belongs to the Heart Hero family and it was stuffed by love by us. And so we, um, we just really, I mean, I think we want all donor families to know we think about you every single day. There's not a day that I don't, does not go by that I don't think of you. And I give thanks to you every single day for my child's life. So thank you. So with that, we are excited to meet with you all bi-monthly to talk about ways that we can all cope with loss. We'll talk to you all again in August. Bye. Bye. Legacies of Life is a production of Texas Oregon Sharing Alliance's Donor Family Aftercare Department. If you would like more information about TOSA, organ donation, or how you can sign up to be a life-saving donor, visit us at tosa1.org. That is T-O-S-A, the number one dot four.